Welcome to the Angel Investors Network podcast, the first national angel group founded online in 1997, dedicated to perpetuating free enterprise, capitalism, and supporting the American dream. In addition, Angel Investors Network is the organization behind the powerful Mastermind Investment Club, dedicated to harnessing the philosophy of a mastermind to increase success with their investment portfolio. Laura Rubenstein is a social media and marketing strategist and founder of the Social Buzz Club. On the podcast, Laura brings together successful entrepreneurs to share with you how they grow their business, and you can too. And now, here's your host, Laura Rubenstein. Hello and welcome everyone to the Angel Investors Network podcast. I'm Laura Rubenstein, your host and digital media and marketing strategist. Today we are moving, as always, your startup to the next level. And I'd like to welcome today, Hidden Shaw to the podcast. Hi, Hidden. Hi, how are you, Laura? Good. I just want to give people a little bit of an intro to who you are. Hidden Shaw is the president of Metrics Holdings. MES Inc. Metric Holdings is a global supply chain company and Hitton is responsible for starting and running a dynamic, fast-growing group of companies that are providing global sourcing solutions to the lighting, automotive, agricultural, and heavy machinery industries. Sounds like a big job, Hitton. How did you get started? Where did you grow up? Let's, get, let's go way back <laughs> before you even got here. Um, where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Uh, in uh, Mumbai, India. And... Um... Uh, middle class family. My my dad was always an entrepreneur. We have come from generations of entrepreneur, and um, uh, I was a very sincere kid. I was one of the ones that was a geek, a nerd. Um, often, um, I had some good friends, but um, I was very very focused on what I needed to do. Uh, very organized in how I had my things set up, uh, even at very early age. Um, very sincere about work. Uh, so. Uh, well loved by my mom, who really wanted me to be an engineer. And um, so, yeah, just growing up, I went to a English medium school, uh, which was pretty standard for most of the families that wanted to have good education for the kids. And um, I was exposed to my dad, who was doing a small business, basically, in Mumbai. And um, so that's what it was. Nothing exciting, pretty middle of the road. So did you do what your mom wanted? She wanted you to become an engineer? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. She was pretty hell-bent on it, and uh, uh, she did everything she, uh, that she could to make sure I stayed focused and took all the, um, all the intrusions out of my way. Great. So you went to engineering school, and what was your career, beginning of your career like? So I did my undergraduate in, um, in India uh, in plastics engineering, and then I came straight for a master's in plastics engineering in the uh, University of Massachusetts. Uh, after that, I, I was hired right out of college uh, as an international uh, student, had my visas processed, worked for a couple of years in Akron, Ohio. And then um, uh, there were some changes going on there. So uh, we found a new opportunity in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, we moved here in 93. I worked for uh, uh, nine years at a company called Midwest Acoustifiber. Uh, it was a, a automotive supplier, very, very small supplier when I joined. And I was a part of the key management team to really grow that, um, uh, grow that uh, business really well. And uh, um, we did a lot of thermal and acoustical insulation products. So I was in, responsible for engineering. I was responsible to set up uh, the joint venture uh, to grow the thermal business and all of that. We have like 11 different patents that we did some pretty cool discovery uh, as a part of that development. 
for automotive areas. And uh, 2002, I left uh, Acousta Fiber to went off on my own because of some changes in the business and um, uh, was a sales rep for about five, six, seven years. And then 2007, I uh, got an opportunity to really uh, immerse ourselves in the supply chain business. And that's what we've been doing now for 11 years. So we celebrated our 10th year last year, and it's been a great ride. Wonderful. What do you like most about what you do in the supply chain business and building this? Uh, the, the improvements and, you know, the, the changes in productivity, the improvements in cost, and, you know, exceeding our own metrics uh, and exceeding a lot of the customer expectations. I think that's just fun. That's great. Uh, the Kaizen, and, you know, the continual improvement, right? Continual improvement. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was, you know, I, we're so good at uh, uh, failing the first time and um, as an organization and, uh, you know, but we're equally good at recovering from it and keep making changes to, you know, to get, get back to at least at a bar level or, or exceed that. Well, that's really a good phrase. You were really good at failing the first time. What, what did you fail at? What was the, the mistakes you made? Well, we have, I have a failure wall in my office. Uh, all the awards belong to the team and all the failures are mine. So I have a, a big failure wall that we put together, you know, usually, you know, once every year or so. And we'll, put, we'll review the years last year and prepare the failures. So the failures start from all kinds. I mean, hiring the wrong engineers, picking the wrong supplier, pursuing a wrong business opportunity, uh, you know, picking the wrong warehouse partner, uh, picking the wrong shipping partner, really screwing up the quality of the products, not paying attention to them. I mean, just on and on and every possible thing you can go into our supply chain world, we have them bad. And, uh, um, you know, uh, and this being, I, I thought two years back, uh, we could be all things to everybody. And uh, uh, that was another bigger mistake, you know, so we really pursued opportunities that we had no business pursuing at all. So various kinds and everything. And how did you fix those mistakes? What, did, what decisions did you make? As a result, um, uh, a lot of 4 a.m. mornings, uh, <laughs> you know, um, it just, um, uh, you know, some of it is a short term corrective actions that you put in place to get out of the ditch. And then um, some are longer term uh, strategic and tactical things that you put in place uh, so that I personally, you know, don't make that mistake. And as a team, we have learned those lessons. So, um, you know, um, we review once a month, we review all of our successes and failures from last month. So every, you know, missed delivery, every missed quality issue, every missed cost issue, uh, all of that are reviewed by among all 110 people globally once a month in our metrics meeting. So uh, regardless of whether it's individual uh, mess up or achievement or whether it's a team mess up or achievement, you know, we acknowledge those and then we focus on, you know, we kind of come up with a third thing, which is what to focus on for the next 30 to 90 days. As a company and the, the longevity you've had, what do you think is the, the main thing you've done right? Sticking with the, with the business that we had in mind. Um, you know, uh, not letting the fear uh, drive our actions. Uh, focusing on the key metrics that we know are important, that are industry benchmarks, that will continue to, you know, um, give us good opportunities and stuff like that. So... You know, uh, I, I think it's just focusing on our metrics uh, is really important. And, uh, and you know, not letting fear or greed or any of these other emotions steer us away from focusing on our customers and focusing on those key metrics. 
do you find that you have to um, have a discipline to do that, to not get distracted because there are other shiny objects and other things you could pursue and other ways to do it? Um, always. Absolutely. I think, but uh, we, I'm always more worried about, you know, um, having some problems that are really, really tough. I mean, some quality issues that are hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in costs, um, you know, uh, pursuing an opportunity, having had hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars invested in it, and then making a decision to say, okay, let's walk away from it. You know, we're done, you know? So uh, I think those are, uh, you know, very um, important um, to walk away from and to, to acknowledge the fact that, you know, we were wrong in doing this. Um, so, that's cut your tough. losses sooner than later, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's just so tough to do, you know, because you are kind of all of our, our team members and myself, we're all, you know, vested and attached to the ideas that we had. And one of the things I think that we've come up with is uh, what really makes sense in 15 and 16? Does it really make sense today? Regardless of who came up with and how brilliant the idea sounded like back in two years back or three years back, you know, with our business having evolved, does it make sense to do the same thing today in the same way? And I think if you ask that question, it makes it very easy to kind of come, oh, no, it doesn't. So, okay, let's look at what makes sense for July 2018. What is making sense these days in general? I think, you know, more of the same. The focus on uh, metrics remains the same. You know, we have a different um, uh, uh, regulatory environment where there are more tariffs coming and, you know, there is um, things, some of the strategic things that we wanted to do like Mexico sourcing or some other things uh, we've had to ramp up a little faster because of like for tariffs, for example, um, the um, couple of quality issues last year has really uh, forced us to think through a lot more tighter on our supplier selection process and our sourcing process on our uh, quality management processes uh, and the automation and things, you know, we had to make those as priority uh, for our IT team, for example, for our quality team, for example, for our purchasing and sourcing, we had to beef up those teams. Um, we had to create a very rigorous discipline of which supplier to use. And we thought, you know, we can, you know, having supplier 20 miles away from our China office or India office, we can basically make them do anything we want. That's not true. You know, so we've had to discipline ourselves into some very rigorous uh, supplier sourcing processes and that's forced us to say no to some of the things because we can't get to the pricing that we want for the opportunities that our sales is bringing. But so be it. Then we walk away from it because it's, it has to make sense on a quality, on the delivery, on the cost, all of that basis. You can't just make, you know, have a one or two legs of the stool solid. You need all three legs standing. So. Great. So what um, is the best advice that you've ever received that really helped you in your business? Uh, best advice. I think some of the best advice comes from my wife. Um, you know, uh, she, uh, she has been able to, uh, uh, have a very unique perspective on, uh, on people side of our business, you know, which people are seem to be doing good. These people are need to be challenged more, need to be pushed more. Um, I think that advice, even though I kind of discard that many times, uh, uh, I would say she's been one of the best advisors, you know, uh, for, for, for me. Um, the, the other is um, in 2010, nine and 10, when we started to put our board of advisors together, one of our advisors told me not to buy the warehouse that was up for sale in Ohio. 
And I thought that was a pretty unique thing. I thought, you know, we could buy this real estate and have our own warehouse, this and that. And he's like, why do you care? You know, um, you should just be bring, you know, be very close to the customers. And um, that evolved us to say, okay, let's have a very strong IT tool. Let's have a very strong ERP platform. So we can basically in 90 days open up warehouse anywhere we want with absolutely no impact on the traceability of our, of our inventory, location of our inventory, all of that. So that's allowed us to be, you know, flourishing, being very close to our customers. You know, one of our key offerings for all of our top, you know, 10 customers is if they can give us a certain amount or dollar amount, we'll be within three days of their plant. So now we are at six different locations globally, seven actually globally, including Poland, three in U.S., three in Mexico, and we don't care where we are. You know, so that was a very good advice not to invest in real estate, for example. Um, so people side of it, you know, um, uh, and, uh, and uh, the, some of the key strategies like making an investment in inventory, in ID, in, in IT, in automation, and that type of stuff. Valid advice that you've received. So let's talk about advice that you give. If you were to give a startup company some advice, what would you advise them? Uh, focus. I, I think one of the things, I mean, we invest in a lot of the you know, private equity funds and we've done some uh, invest in, uh, in startups and things. And while you know, they don't really seek me out for advice and nor do I reach out to a lot of the people that we invest in. But when they do, uh, you know, my question is always, uh, what is the focus? You know, um, as, and I, I, you know, we, even in our MES business after maturing for 10 years, 11 years, what is the focus? You know, we still kind of revolve our, our thought process in our own business as well as startup. What, you know, what do you really have to, uh, so there are two things I think. One is, uh, what's the focus? And second is, how do we, how do you execute for quick, um, you know, confidence building uh, success? Because it's really, really hard uh, for companies to just be, you know, wallowing in their own processes and their development for months and years to come. Um, you know, you're better off having an iterative culture, uh, having an initial product that sticks and having some initial customers to really help you drive that. Um, so those two things, you know, I think uh, focus on whether it's service or a product or whatever you're developing and having, and, uh, you know, some early success with some customers. Yeah. Know that you can, you can win. And as that book by the Federal Express uh, co-founder said, make, keep the main thing, the main thing, right? Right, right. Exactly. So um, let's talk about building a business and what's working for you to attract more business. Um, you know, you have to figure out why you're successful. Um, you have to figure out what you're successful at. Uh, you have to figure out what you're able to do for your customers that's different than the competitors are. Um, and once you isolate those things, so like, for example, in our thing, uh, one of the key things is um, to focus on high mix variety of components. So, you know, all of our customers have very, very strong supply chain processes, very sophisticated purchasing and sourcing things for high volume stuff. But, you know, because of the mass customization and things, every single commodity and things we deal with, the um, way too many options. So, you know, um, in Honda back in 99 had four vehicles and now they have 17 vehicles and about 35 different transmissions and 40, you know, 20 different engines. So the amount of permutations and combinations have phenomenally grown. As a part of that, you know, you can't, and every vehicle gets 3,000 components on an average. 
So if you're making for very specific transmission, very specific engines, you know, the things that you used to do in brackets and heat shields and covers and all of that stuff, you know, you're not preparing, you're not, the suppliers are not able to do 200, 300, 400,000 shots or, or, or components. You know, they have to have so many new 20, 30, 40,000 components. And our DNA is to focus on those high mix variety of parts, our supply selection, our supply chain processes, our risk management processes, our um, inventory level management, all of that is designed for that high mix variety of components to make sure that we are really good at that game. Uh, because high volume stuff, you know, you can buy it 20 miles away at a factory and at a very similar price level. So we're not competitive. So finding out, you know, what, what it was um, that we're good at. So every new customer, we have focused on those high mix variety of components, first of all. And that tends to be pretty, you know, we get, you know, years pretty easily by the purchasing managers and directors because those we know are, are a pain in the neck for them. Why are they a pain in the neck? Um, because, for example, you know, uh, a company like Eaton, okay, they have, um, they may have six people that are managing, you know, uh, uh, this certain level of spend for a for a for a for their basket, and uh, out of that, they may have two thousand components given average, okay. Um, first five hundred are okay because the first five hundred are high volume; they can buy them locally from a company right next door, 100 miles away, 200 miles away, same geographical region. The other 1,500 are a problem. And out of that 1,500, the back 750 are the worst problems. And, you know, we have built our business around those 750 components that tend to be very, very difficult for them to manage. You know, it's used by their smallest divisions. The volumes are unpredictable. The demand patterns are very statistically anomaly. Um, the suppliers are not interested in it. There is very high cost for air freighting, all of that. And that's the basket that we focus on to, to streamline and help. So you really have specialized in, in an area of challenge for your customers. They're, they're yeah. really challenged. So what types of marketing do you use to let them know you do that? Uh, we we have uh, we pretty strong marketing programs, you know, led by Carol and Livia. You, you've talked to them. Um, and um, so we do our everything. Uh, we do trade shows. Uh, we have uh, built our whole organic uh, website and the blogs and everything else to, to build certain keywords, you know, to demonstrate our key capabilities really well, our technical capabilities really well. Um, our marketing activities focuses on a lot of our HR, all the people side of the things that we do. You know, we have a family-oriented culture across the globe. And, you know, we tend to highlight those, you know, we tend to, uh, you know, um, celebrate Diwali or Chinese New Year, as well as Christmas and Hanukkah and all of that. So all of those things are, you know, we, we publish them and we've been able to attract very good people as a result of all that. Um, you know, so based on the technical things that we do on our LinkedIn platforms or our uh, Facebook and all of that, you know, we've had some pretty strong inquiries. So. Um, you know, very organic, uh, you know, a home developed uh, website, very good understanding of it. You know, we, we, uh, we spend money on, on the things that matter, uh, but we're very discreet about it. And we've had a pretty strong return on investment, all of the marketing things that we do. Nice. Which have been the most effective that you are alluding to here? Uh, so we, you know, we have, we tend to advertise, for example, our, there is uh, in the engineered components level, 
there are uh, marketing through like Thomas registers. Uh, those have been pretty attractive for us. Some very specific, uh, uh, you know, uh, regional, uh, you know, digital marketing activities uh, to, to leverage Google AdWords or something like that as well. Um, so, and then some of the trade show, where some very specific trade shows tend to be very, very, you know, uh, productive for us. And how, do, when you go to these trade shows or online or when you're using the Google AdWords, what makes you stand out from the crowd? Because you did say it was, you know, what do you use to stand out? So our keywords, you know, we continue to define those um, across the very strong product uh, supplier uh, strength that we have, uh, where we have a, a book of business, you know, where we can demonstrate, you know, 50 components to show that we have developed it. We understand the materials. We understand the suppliers. We understand the supply chain issues, quality issues, development issues, tooling issues, all of that. So, um, the, you know, uh, as a part of that, the, uh, We've been able to, you know, do very specific keywords, I mean, but we focus on content marketing, newsletter, you know, PR, as well as all the publications. We have done some white papers too, you know, that have been very, very attractive for a lot of the, you know, senior directors and purchasing people. Uh, we've done some very specific commodity resources on our website that tend to attract engineers uh, for design help, for raw material help, for global conversion factors, all of that type of stuff. Um, so, you know, and and then. Uh, we have our business processes uh, in uh, in uh, uh, the um, what's that one page infographic forms as well as our PowerPoint forms as well as Prexy and all of that stuff. I mean, we any any medium you want to talk to us, you want to find us, you'll find us. Wonderful. So you're you're on it with the marketing. It probably it's always evolving. What would you say is your biggest marketing challenge now? Uh, just really doing more of the same. I think the the marketing, uh, as you said, is is always evolving. Our, our challenge continues to be, for example, we have uh, from Jan through May this year, we had about 183 um, uh, customers that approached us through our marketing efforts. Okay, out of those 183, I think we have converted about 40 of them into our request for quote, which is our first level of of uh, engagement, our NDA processes, all of that. So we have about 20% conversion, let's say. Uh, so what our challenge when we did our, our Q2 review, um, we did our quarterly review early, um, we, we kind of defined that we need to change all these 140 leads that we got that were not relevant. How do we weed those out and how do we get more of these 40? You know? And to do that, you know, we, we changed the type of blogs we do, for example, uh, we've uh, changed, um, uh, we've decentralized our uh, website and blogs for our, our Mexico, our Poland and India and China, a lot different than what we did in US, for example. So those are the initial things. In fact, we're in the next last 30 days, we've had complete, you know, uh, deep pegging of our blogs in, in Mexico and China than we do in US. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the findings. And, you know, if, if we want our customers to find us in China directly, then so be it. If they're looking for the global supply chain managers in China, let them find them. They don't need to find MES in Ohio. So those are the evolving things that, you know, as soon as we said, okay, wait, you know, these are the, some of the blogs that had very high, you know, click-through rates or views or all of that, then let's leverage those for China and find a partner in China to, to do more of that. Mm -hmm. You know, find something very, very different in Mexico because we don't need to do the same thing everywhere. Right. It's great. So, so that's the evolving part, and we are, you know, we're able to just learn from it and, and, and do more. 
And segmenting by region what you put out to them. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's great. So we're at about the end, but is there anything you've sh- you haven't shared that you'd like to? Um, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, there is only um, 2.8% of the businesses that grow, uh, you know, that go past $50 million in sales and for past 10 years. So we are very, very lucky and very fortunate to, to be here. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, what I wish is all the startups a success. And uh, I think you need people that can help you. Um, you know, you need people that can execute your ideas. So, you know, building a team around some of the things that really make, uh, make good sense. But at the end of the day, the entrepreneur has to have a very, very, very solid understanding of his business, a comprehensive understanding of why customers are picking them, why suppliers are picking them, why team members are joining them, and, you know, keeping their focus on very critical products and success and, and things. So uh, I wish, uh, you know, all the startups, all the luck. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur by blood, and, you know, I, I love what I do, and, uh, you know, I, I hope to continue helping you. Well, it certainly shows, and I truly appreciate your generosity and your wisdom today. Thank you for being here, and um, we'll be back with another episode of the Angel Investors Network podcast. Thanks, Hinton. Thanks, Laura. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer.